Well, give the Lord a praise. Come on, give God a praise. That's why we're here, folks. How are you? Good to see you. We were trying to figure out how many times I've been here. I think the general consensus is twice. So if you were not here when I was here, then uh, I think the video pretty well says it all. It's going to be a different kind of an evening tonight. Um, I think that's obvious. I've been shot twice, thrown off a building. I've been in three plane crashes. I've seen 23 people murdered in front of me, so I am not here to entertain you, okay? It's going to be not a normal service. They said Pastor Mika from this morning was a really nice guy. I, on the other hand, am not. So you'll have the two extremes today. You had the nice guy this morning, you get the not-so-nice guy tonight. Okay? You all right with that? So look at the person next to you. Just smack them and say, you better pay attention. Mm-hmm. You better pay attention. Otherwise, it's going to be a tough night for you. <laughs> Pastor, thank you for letting me be here. Thank you. We've uh, pretty much in this part of the world uh, every year, just about this time, fall is a great time to be here. If there is a great time, uh, there's only two weeks of nice weather a year in this part of the world, and this isn't it. So it's like July, maybe the last week in July, first week of August, right? That's kind of the window. If you miss that two weeks, that's it. You've missed the whole thing. So uh, my roots actually are about 20 miles outside of Aberdeen. So I'm half Scottish, half German. I don't claim the German side because they're a little kind of knuckleheads. But I like claiming the, the Scottish side. Uh, I like hanging out here with you guys. I feel, feel very comfortable, always have. So uh, thank you for letting me share with you for the couple minutes that we are here tonight. Uh, a couple of things on the back table. Let me go over them quickly. I think, give me one of those cards there, brother, if you will. Yep, that right there. I think all of you guys got one of these, all right? If you're sitting on the card, that's not the purpose. So, yeah, see? <laughs> Grab that one. There you go. Now you're good. Get the card out quickly. Very important part of a Metro World Child meeting. When something happens around the world, whether it's to me, to the kids, I was in a rocket attack from the Taliban in Kabul, Afghanistan, just a couple of months ago. Most of you know I got shot in the back in Syria a year ago. Uh, I was a Russian sniper. I was in a camp working with the kids. Uh, caught me in the back. My bulletproof vest stopped a slug, but it bent one of the plates, busted two of my ribs, poked a hole in my lung, knocked me forward, uh, busted my head on some rocks, fractured my skull. So again, when I talk to you guys, I'm not some sissy preacher that's got lace on his underwear. That's not what you got tonight. This is just, you know, you know how those American preachers are. They're a little exhausting, all right? So it's just a different angle tonight, that's all. Uh, we got in a shootout in Nigeria a couple of years ago, rescuing some of those girls from Boko Haram. And it was through my night vision goggles, I saw one of the terrorists cut the head off one of the little girls. I don't think any of you have been through this. You haven't seen what I've seen. 
doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong. It just means we've chosen different lifestyles. I don't live like you. So we have two very dramatically different lifestyles tonight. And we've got about 40 minutes to try to bring them together. Isn't that fun? And trying to make this whole mess make sense. All right? So we're going to see how that goes. And, uh, and if it doesn't work, you can have your tea and whatever it is you people do here afterwards. And, uh, and then we'll all go home. All right? But if something's up like that, you guys want to know what's going on, uh, take a minute, fill this out. This is a very important part of what we do. I've been in the ministry for 50 years. I hope I'm smart enough to know that without churches like you guys, folks like you praying, uh, it doesn't work. So I'm not going to send you mindless emails that make no sense. I'm not going to send you pictures of what I had for lunch like some of your dopey friends do. Okay, some of you have people, friends, right? Send you, you, you send pictures of what you had. For, who does that here? Let me see a hand. Yeah, I figured it was you knuckleheads over here. All right, so let me get this straight. Do your friends send you pictures of their lunch? Or do you send pictures of your lunch? Which, which way do we play this? Oh, one for one. Of course it is. You're an equal opportunity knucklehead. So if you have friends that send you pictures of what they get for lunch, you really need some new friends. Because if that's all they've got to do and they really think somebody cares, you guys got a lot of issues in this part of the world. So I'm not going to send you pictures of what I had for lunch. All right? But uh, if something's up that I think is important, that we need prayer, uh, I want to shoot you an email so you guys can get your people together quickly. So take a minute now, fill this out while I'm talking about the other materials. Give it to the guys at the back table. And then the other half. I used to tell people in the old days to put these in your Bible. Remember when they had Bible bookmarks? No, some of you have no idea what I just said. Because some of you can't even remember anybody ever bringing a Bible to church. Now you read your Bible. Who's got the phone? You got your phone? Give me your phone. See it? She's sitting on it. All right. Give me the phone. Give me the phone. So if if you read your Bible on the phone, I don't know what to tell you, except maybe. Let me just take this. Wrap it around your phone. Mm Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas. All right. Uh, Take that, put it somewhere as a reminder uh, to pray. Um, I'm waiting on the call from Yemen uh, to go there. The door is, you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with what's going on there right now. Another typical Middle Eastern mess. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East. Uh, None of it's been overly friendly. When I was in Kabul, it's the Kabul airport is basically a military base. Um, And so tonight, when I ask you to be a part of this prayer network, it's it's serious business, guys, serious business, all right? So fill that out. Uh, Let me talk about the rest of the stuff. 
If you're a reader, and I trust all of you are, uh, whose child is this? Tell us how Metro has become the largest Sunday school in the world today. It's also been selected as one of the 10 most influential missions organizations in the world. This explains to you how that happened. It's always been about ordinary people that choose to do extraordinary things. I have a PhD from the University of Wales. I teach Old Testament in a couple of universities here in, in, the, uh, in the Europe area. I'm working on an MD now. Uh, because of a lot of these places we go, uh, I need to have the uh, medical degree. I delivered a baby in a truck stop in Texas uh, not too long ago. That's <laughs> pumping gas, right? And some guy's yelling, is there a doctor here? I'm a doctor. Looking back in retrospect, I probably should have asked what kind of doctor he was looking for. But, you know, I think I'm Superman. So I think, yeah, let's go. I'm a doctor. So his wife's having a baby in the back seat of the car. So I looked in there. I thought, oh, man, I'm not trained for this. But, hey, I'm committed now. I mean, the head of the baby's coming out. This is it. I rolled up my sleeves. I thought, how hard can this be? I've seen American movies. Never looked that hard in the movies. But have you ever thought you could do something and then you're just getting ready to do it and you blank? And you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, well, baby's coming out. There ain't nothing else we can do. So I thought, well, here we go. And then I remembered. I saw one movie where the doctor was just yelling at the woman saying, push, breathe. Push. That's the formula. So I'm yelling at the pregnant woman. Push, breathe. It looked like I knew what I was doing. Well, we got the baby out, so I run in the gas station, got a little pair of scissors, came out, cut the cord, tied it up. You'd have been proud. I look like, I look like it's, it's, it's always funny after the fact. You know, these stories are funny later. They ain't never funny when you're in the middle of it. And so the baby's crying. That's a good thing. Mother's crying. That's a good thing. I was crying. Thank God nobody died in this parking lot in a gas station. So, is there any pregnant women here tonight? Any pregnant woman? Okay, good. All right, so we're clear then. We're good. Anyways, in all of this formal education that, that has done me absolutely no good, uh, see, the PhD didn't teach me how to uh, go into Syria. The night before I got shot, Right, I see this gal walking up towards the security gates. And ISIS was about three clicks to the east. The Russian camp was about four to the west. Assad was running barrel bomb runs about 20 clicks on a ridge outside this camp. So we're right in the middle of this whole mess. And I see this lady holding a, a child. She gets about halfway up to the security gate and just collapses. So I yelled at the guard. I said, open the gate. So I grabbed the interpreter. We run down there, and we pick up the child, and the mother is hysterical. I don't know how else to tell you. Oh, I tried to tell the interpreter. I said, calm her down. I don't know how I can help. 
calm her down. Finally, we got her calmed down. And she kept asking me, she said, can you help my son? And I looked down and his right arm was bandaged up. I didn't know what happened. I said, what, what's wrong? She unwraps his hand and apparently in one of those barrel bomb runs, a piece of shrapnel had caught the kid right here, cut off his hand. So the mother had just wrapped it. Looks like it was about a two-day, maybe a three-day-old wound. And I don't know if any of you have ever been angry at anything, at a social injustice in life. I don't know if that's part of your style in this part of the world or not. But until you get angry at something, you're not going to change anything. So please don't. Don't, don't pray, Lord, use me to change something, because it's not going to work. That doesn't fit with some of you, does it? That's why I said it, because I knew it didn't fit. Somebody has to catch the urgency of what's going on in this part of the world. You don't understand that, do you? Yeah. How many churches, Pastor, are closing? Ten a, ten a month in Scotland. That, that's just Scotland. Ten, ten, ten a month. Do the math, folks. Wake up. Do the math. Do you know what that means? You know what it means. So do I. Mm-hmm. What's the percentage of Christianity, you know? Three percent. Three percent evangelical. Okay, yep which means this is an unreached people group. How far would you like me to take you tonight? I can take you as far as you want to take it, okay? I've done this 50 years. I know what it takes to reach a country. I know what it takes to reach a generation. Those 205,000 in Sunday school last week, that didn't happen by accident, guys. There's a reason. There's a reason why things happen. There's a reason why things don't happen. It's your country. It's not my country. Mm -hmm. She said, please, can you help my son? And I felt the anger all over again. You ever felt the anger in your gut? Or just kind of, some of you haven't really been there, have you? Yeah, I understand. I said, I can't help your son. And then she reached in a paper bag and pulled out the kid's hand. And she said, please, can you help my boy? Walk with me. Go with me. I take 50 people every March to the Philippines where we do Sunday school in the cemetery. Thousand squatters live in the North Cemetery in Manila. We do Sunday school in the cemetery where the kids live amongst the remains of dead people. Three generations living in a cemetery. I'm sure this place is a nice city to raise kids. You ought to thank God every day you live here. Mm -hmm. Some of you younger people here, let me just pause for a minute. I don't know if you're smart enough to understand this, but I'll throw it up. I hope you know where you live. You ought to thank God you live here and not where I live. 
You wouldn't last two weeks. It's not a game tonight, folks. You had the nice guy this morning. It's not how this one's going tonight. Okay? And I looked at that hand. Yeah. So, what does all this mean? Tell this mean. You tell me. You tell me. See, it's meetings just like these that somebody gets it. Not everybody's going to get this tonight. You know that. I know that. But somebody here's going to get it. Water boils at what? 100? 100 degrees? Yeah. Not 95. Not 98. But when the fire has been in contact with the water, just long enough, there's that one last degree. Right? And it does so. All by itself, the fire does what to the water? It's still the same chemical composition, but it changes what? The whole structure. It changes the appearance. See, we all pray, Lord, change me. Really? You want to be changed? How bad? How bad? Do you really want to be changed? See, in the West, Christians want to be changed on their terms. They want acceptable change. Do you want to be changed so dramatically that you become unrecognizable to your friends? Do you want that big a change? I don't know, guys, but you better. Because meetings are just like this. I've watched it for 50 years just like this. Something clicks. Something connects with a few folks. Yeah. And it puts something into motion. That's, that's what all the stuff is. The books, the tapes. Uh, but that's why we put stuff like this together. That's why I come to meetings like this. To just push you. I'm going to push you tonight. I'm going to stretch you a little bit tonight. You okay with that? Yeah. Yep. Good. Six of you are. That's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's going, to be, it's going to be a long night tonight, folks. A long night. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell when people are uncomfortable. And just, it's just, I can see it on your face. Yeah. That's the beauty of a night like tonight. You get really uncomfortable. Anyways, uh, who's never read this book? Never read the book? Let me see again. Never read the book. You never read the book? Here you go. Merry Christmas. All right. No. Good. Good. You're welcome. Uh, the other books, Running with Turtles, The Teflon Rhino. Uh, these are books, messages I brought on television, uh, different leadership conferences, missions, conventions. So if I say something in the message tonight that kind of makes sense, that's what these are. I don't have a ghostwriter like Joyce Myers. I actually write my own books. I just said that just to irritate people. So I just, yeah, I'll do with it. Yeah, I'll do with it. What you want doesn't bother me. All right. So this is, uh, that's what these are. Anybody else want a book? Yeah, you can buy them right back here. Right back here. Right on the... Uh, Right at the back table. You knew I set you up. 
I set you up and you bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. Right back here. All right. The DVDs, uh, just so you guys know, these are number 18 rated in this part of the world. Uh, these are not for kids, obviously. This shows where I live and the people I live with. I do not live in Manhattan with the sissies. I live in Brooklyn. Okay? This reflects that. I've lived in the ghetto for 40 years. It's a hardcore life. And I've got the marks to prove it. These are three installations done by secular film crews. They're one-hour documentaries. So if you want to see that side of my life, that's great. But these, these are unedited. They're uncut. So you understand this, this isn't a nice little church movie. Okay? Just so you get that. And last, um, and this is the most important thing that you guys will see. When I was here before, a couple of you guys sponsored some of our kids. If you are here tonight, thank you. Thank you for making a difference. This is an opportunity for you guys to put legs on the thing. You know, my, my mother was an alcoholic, left me on a street corner, and I sat on that corner for three days with no food until an ordinary Christian man stopped. Operative word, ordinary. His own child, his own son, was in a hospital dying of leukemia, but he still stopped. That's interesting, isn't it? The ordinary guy who had every reason not to stop, stops. Put his hand on my shoulder and just said, are you okay? And I used to stutter really badly when I was a little boy. And I tried to explain to him my mother was gone. I was just hungry. Immediately, immediately. Don't miss this. Immediately. He didn't have to get permission like you have to in this part of the world. Y'all have to get permission to do everything here, don't you? How do y'all live here? How does that work? Could you see me living here? I'd be arrested about once a month. Yeah. My Sunday school bus I drive in Brooklyn, uh, seat 60, uh, we never bring in less than 80. If I, if I just, I just love breaking the law. It's good for you. Loosens you up a little bit. Okay? You need to kind of, come on, Jesus. You need to loosen up a little bit, folks. So immediately, he gets his wife. She brings me some food and water. He gets on the phone, and five hours after this meeting on the church or on the street corner, he's loading me in a church van, sends me to a Sunday school camp where I heard the story of Jesus for the first time, and that was the beginning. So the 205,000 in Sunday school last week, and people see me on TV, they see me teaching in university, they read the books. That's my role, I'm the front guy, because I started the thing, or did I? Not really. It was back in 1960 when the man picked me up off the street corner. He started this. The ordinary Christian who saw the kid that nobody wanted. That's where this whole thing started. It's always been about ordinary people. Yeah. 
that choose to do extraordinary things. I've been around the hotshot preachers. I, I live in America. Okay, it is what it is. Uh, I've been around those folks. That's ordinary people, just like here tonight. Don't let the cute suit fool you. I'm still the kid from the corner. Yeah, I'm still the kid from the corner. So we're all on the same playing field here tonight. Okay, fair enough. Yep. So that's what this is. You'll have a chance tonight to take one of these kids that we have committed our lives to and do the same thing for one of them that that man did for me. That table back there, it's like he picked me up off the street corner. So actually that table where the pictures are, that's, that's their corner. Make sense? You can pick one up off of their corner. 20 pound a month, you can be as involved in the life of the child as you choose to be. We've had businessmen say they'll sponsor five, ten. One guy sponsored ten just through his business. As a family, there's a lot of different ways you can do this. We'll be around for as long as we... Is there going to be any food tonight afterwards? Is there any food? Coffee, cake, that's it? Okay, well, there you go. All right, well, let me take that back. I won't be around too long, okay? Because coffee and cake only gets it so far. But anyways, I will be here as long as we need to be. I will answer your questions. Uh, Janine's back there. She is our director of Metro Kenya. Uh, They're in Nakuru in Kenya, where in the last couple of months, four of the children there have fallen over dead of starvation. Not a game tonight, folks. Not a game. Real life tonight. Okay? So that's, that's how this is going to play. But uh, if you ever wondered, does something like this really make a difference? Uh, Ling, give me that first picture. You back there? Give me that first. Give me that first shot. I want you to take a break. Uh, take, turn these spotlights off until I'm done with this. All right? I want to be able to see these pictures. There we go. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, that little girl there's name's Cherry Ann. This is in Philippines. That's her mom. Uh, they live in the cemetery. These are some tombs there behind them. And so they kind of set up just like a piece of canvas plastic. And they live on top of the tombs. I had a gal two years ago in Singapore. I was uh, doing a missions convention there in one of our really good supporting churches. They're great, great folks. And the gal came up to the table. She said, Pastor Bill, I want to sponsor one of the kids in the cemetery. She said, good, Jerry Ann, she's your girl. She needs a lot of help. I didn't know exactly what I was saying at the time. I knew she was in pretty desperate shape, but I didn't know how desperate. So she signs up, fills out the card. Well, last March, the, the gal, the sponsor, says, Pastor Bill, I want to go with you in March. And I want, to, I want to visit Cherry Ann. Great. Perfect. Let's go. So we have 50, like I said, we have 50 people that come. Our place sleeps 50 there in Manila by the airport. So we're in the cemetery doing Sunday school. Just get finished. And I see the staff, some of the ladies, looking at Cherry Ann. 
I thought, okay, what? What are they looking at? Give me, give me another one, Lane. If you got that next one. So they, they're looking at something. Give me the close-up, Lane, if you will. She was born without an anus. So they had to cut this hole in her side. And once a week, they take her to a clinic, stick a tube in there to drain the, the waste, and then just put the bandage back on. So this thing stays infected. She lives in the stomach, cemetery, guys, okay? So the sponsor sees this. I didn't even know that this was going on. So the sponsor's looking at this. Then the sponsor looks at me. She said, Pastor Bill, we have to do something. Get it? See, that's what the urgency does. The urgency demands something from you. Walk with me. Come with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see what you got. Okay? Yeah. So I said, let's get to it. Let's get to it. And, and before we left, I saw her take her hand like this and put it on the open hole. And I knew when she did that, that was it. Remember remember when Thomas never could understand the resurrection of Christ? It was too abstract. Until when? Until he touched the wounds in the body of Christ. When he touched the wounds, suddenly even the resurrection became real. Are you with me? Give me another one, Lang. So, um, I, I don't like, turn off the stupid spotlights. All right? I want to be able to see the pictures. Um, so, we get the kid to Singapore. There we go. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, we get her to Singapore. And, you know, I've done this a long time. And, all right. <laughs> now, now, I know you don't know me. That, that, that's not how this goes. Don't play with the lights. Either turn them on or turn them off. No matter what that guy in the back says, just leave them on or leave them off. All right? Just don't, don't. I'm trying to be nice like the guy this morning. Okay? I know I can't be like him, so y'all just don't play with the lights. All right? So... We get the kid to Singapore. They're doing scans. And you guys know when you get kids that live where they live, you know nothing's ever as easy as you think it's going to be. You think you've got it until you realize you ain't got it. So we get her on the scans. And then give, give me another one, Like, What do you got? They find out that uh, she's got worms in her lungs. All right, from living in there, she's just filled with worms. So now it takes three weeks to get rid of the worms. Give me another one, Ling, if you will. Uh, this is a surgeon. So now we got rid of the worms. We're ready for the operation. This guy, that the sponsor, really, is, was who pulled us off. She found a Christian surgeon who said he'll do the operation free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, come on, give God a praise. Yeah. yeah. 
Christian anesthesiologist, free. Two Christian nurses, donate. See, that's the power of partnership, guys. It's when all of us do this together. I'm crazy enough to go do what I do. I get in the shootouts. I get in the fights. That's, I go to the places where the other guys don't go. But I can only do this. Get it? It takes all of us. That's, that's the power of partnership. That's what makes this thing work all over the world. So we get it. Give me another one, Ling. So they get inside, and the, a big chunk of her intestines is just rotted because it's been dormant for all these years. So they got to cut out parts of the intestines. It's like a 10-hour operation. Give me another one, Ling. And so we get through it. There's, she's in the recovery room. That's her mom. I had people all over the world praying. The prayer card you guys filled out? Get it now? See, that's what all this is. It's everybody playing a part in this kind of stuff. All right? And uh, I, can, I think we got her after the recovery. Ling, you got another? Yeah, that was, uh, that was her on the plane on the way home. Uh, the operation was a success. I show you this for one reason. That's, that's what this is, guys. One person makes a difference. So we'll be around. If you feel like you, you'd like to step up and do that, then that's so. That's the opportunity. You can be as involved in the life of your child. Go with me in March. You sponsor one of the kids in the Philippines? Go, come with me. You can visit your sponsored child. You can be as involved as you choose to. Pastor, thank you for allowing me to share that, okay? You can turn the pictures off, Lang. I think we're done. Now you can turn back the lights. So now thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate that. Hey, magical, all right? So I was in Austin, Texas, and uh, I was in the pastor's office. I was getting ready to preach on a... uh, on a Sunday morning, sitting in the office. And I'm one of these guys that likes to look around the preacher's office. I had a great time in your office tonight. I'm just kind of poking around, looking at the books, see what's going on. And I see over in the corner of the pastor's office, I see this stick. Oh, it's a little unusual. I have a baseball bat in my office. I don't play baseball. Uh, I printed, I took a magic marker and wrote on the back, Jesus. Because sometimes, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I picked up the stick and it was, it looked like somebody had taken a knife and carved, not characters or words, but it looked like they cut symbols into this wooden stick. I thought, this is, this is a little unusual in a pastor's office. So I went out, preached the morning service, came back in, and the pastor came in, and I said, Pastor, what's, what's up with the stick? Well, this was in a Baptist church. And so he goes through this whole dissertation about the stick. I thought it was a simple question. 
Apparently it wasn't. He just came back from the Holy Land and he said, Pastor Bill, this is a replica of an Old Testament staff. I said, really? He said, yes. Now, I teach Old Testament in university. So, you know, if I don't know something, then it's not true because I'm Pastor Bill. <laughs> so so I, I didn't say nothing. So I'm just listening to him kind of going, on. he goes, yeah. I said, well, what, what's up with the marks? Now, listen to this. See if you've ever heard this before because I never had. He said, well, you know, Pastor Bill, they didn't have diaries at that time in, in history, which was true. So if they wrote things down or kept a, uh, like a, 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 a log or journal would be another word, they used to write on scrolls of papyrus. Or sometimes they would take pieces of leather and they would take like a stylus and carve the words or letters into the leather. He said, well, you know, they, if they were on the move and they were out doing stuff, he said, they, they couldn't carry, you know, rolls of papyrus, which, duh, yeah, I got it. I knew that. I said, yeah, okay, so what, what's the marks? I was trying to get out of him what the marks were. He said, well, he said, when something of significance, listen to me, because you need to get this. You can go back to sleep after this. But if you missed this part, you wasted your whole time here. All right? So he said, when something of significance happened, he said, the owner of the staff would take a knife, starting at the bottom of the staff, and cut or carve, engrave, a symbol representing that thing, that incident, that circumstance that happened. So starting at the bottom, all the way through this guy's life, there's the, I've never heard this. Well, you know, I mean, I was respectful, but I figured, hey, he's Baptist. He doesn't know. So I'm thinking, well, it ain't nothing to this. And so, <laughs> you know, you know, right as soon as I got back to New York on Monday, I'm on the phone. I have two professors I work with at the University of Jerusalem. So if I get stuck on something, I just make the call because I'm not believing none. So I tell one of my prof buddies in Jerusalem, I said, is that true? He said, well, yeah, it is. Okay, so why don't you guys tell me this stuff? I don't know this. I know everything. I don't know this. You guys, he goes, no, it's true. It was a very common practice. Somewhere in this whole staff thing, these, the staff was no longer now just a stick. You understand what I'm saying? This thing became a journal. It became a diary, but more important than that, it became literally a representation of the guy's life. Have you ever had, have you ever had like things in the Bible you just couldn't understand? It's just like never made sense to you? Things like, did Adam have a belly button? Or, you know, things that you just go, <laughs> who asks questions like that? 
I always had struggles with the staff because if you would read it in there, there's certain places where the staff is mentioned. It's like, remember the rod and the staff, they comfort you? Did you ever wonder how a stick could comfort somebody unless you used it to smack somebody in Jesus' name? Because, you know, if you smack somebody in church, you got to do it in Jesus' name. You got to try to make it spiritual. It's, it's church. And so it never jived with me. It never made sense. So it set me on a quest. I thought, okay, now that I know this historical fact, maybe, maybe it'll answer some questions. Flip over to the book of Hebrews. I want you to take a look at one verse, and uh, we're going to talk about it, and then I'll get out of your way. The book of Hebrews, in the uh, in the 11th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, just slip over next to a Christian. They'll have one. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. Pick it up at the 21st verse. I'm just going to do one verse. And then we're going to kick it around for a little bit. This is, of course, the, the, the faith chapter, as it's known in ecclesiastical circles. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 21. It says, by faith, Jacob, mm-hmm. when he was a dying, hyphenated word, a dying, he was in the process of dying. Those old guys just knew when they were going to die. Now, it's interesting to me. He blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped. Now, I'm not going to get into this big historical thing. I have this history bend, so I don't want to bore you with that. But when the old patriarchs would pass on the patriarchal blessing, they would take their right hand like this, cross it over their body like this, and put it on the head of the second born. Okay? It's a type if you're into typology. It's a type of the second birth. Then they would take their left hand, cross it over, and put it on the head of the firstborn, and they would pass on the patriarchal blessing. So, this is what's happening. Got it? When he was dying, he blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, comma, leaning upon the top of his staff. Hmm. Seems pretty innocuous. So understanding what the Baptist preacher told me, looking at this, a reference to the staff, I jotted down a few references to the staff. I'm not going to have a lot of time to uh, go through a lot of them, but I want to give you a few and see if this makes sense to you. I think it will encourage you. I think as soon as I started working on the whole staff thing, and you know, it's... it's Dan, you have that? Or pastor, somebody? Give me that. You have a stick. We, we do not have an Old Testament staff tonight. We have a, I don't know what we have. We have an old stick. This is a Scottish staff. Do not be deceived. It's the best apparently they could come up with at the last minute. But that's fine. It works. We'll use it as, a, as an illustration. All right? So uh, remember what I said. When something of significance happened, they would take a knife, start 
at the bottom of the staff, I asked for a bigger knife. And one of the girls here, she, she didn't know me. She said, what do you need it for? Just give me the knife. <laughs> Whoever that was, sorry, sweetie. Just, if I say I have need of something, just get it. So they take the knife and cut, carve. See, I do better without the mic. That's 50 years. Uh -huh. Carving that symbol in there, starting at the bottom, and through their life, working all the way up to the staff. Um, and they, I found out they used to take, what is that stuff that, I don't know what they do in the States, they put like a, um, a chemical on like railroad ties, telephone poles, they soak the wood in it. Creosote, thank you. That's why he's the pastor. He knew that. Yeah, and it keeps out uh, termites. It's like a wood preservative, theoretically. So creosote actually was developed in the Old Testament. Who knew? Because a staff was meant to last a lifetime. So now, let's go over a couple of, of times where the staff is used. Remember, uh, remember when God was trying to get Moses' attention? He wanted him to be the, the one that leads the people out. You, you know the story. I know you do. It's over in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. You can read it later. Write it down. So now, God's trying to get Moses to be the leader. And Moses was smart. He knew there was no way you could get three million Christians going in the same direction, no matter what was going on. You can't do it. Couldn't do it then. Can't do it now. Doesn't matter. And they're all over the place. And God said, Moses, you're it. And Moses wasn't having it. He didn't want the job. My, my 50 years tells me there's somebody here tonight. And this, I'm, I'm not giving a prophecy, so don't get nervous. <laughs> There's no prophets in our ministry. It's a nonprofit corporation. <laughs> All right, see, don't, don't, don't get edgy. But I'm just, this 50 years talking. There's some of you here, you knew at some point in your life God wanted you to do something. But you didn't do it, did you? Life got in the way, as life so often does. That's why I tell people in their 20s, Choose wisely. Most people make life-altering decisions in their 20s. Mm -hmm. Tell me I'm wrong. You can't. <laughs> so they, they make all of these big decisions. You go to college in your 20s, you don't even know what you're doing. You can't even spell university. And now you're going to one. And for what purpose? You don't know what you want to do. You don't know where you're going. Get married. See, the frontal cortex section of your brain, which is the part of your brain that gives you the ability to think, doesn't even totally develop till somewhere between 26 and 29 years of age. So a kid 18 years old says, I'm in love. Well, you're pretty much an idiot. Pretty much.
You're not qualified, Bubba and Bubbets. Make those kind of choices. It's not. So you make life altering decisions. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And then, see, Moses saying, no, that's a bad job. Don't want to. See, some of you had a shot at doing something somewhere in your journey, but you choked. How do I know that? I've done this for 50 years. That's how I know that. That's exactly how I know that. Hmm. So Moses, they're going back and forth, arguing with God. Now watch this. And the whole argument comes to a climax when God questions Moses. Remember what he said? He said, Moses, what's in your hand? Remember? Yep, overnight. And Moses says, my staff, I don't care what's in my hand. I ain't doing it. Do you remember what God told him to do with the staff? See, now up to just a moment ago, you just thought that was Moses laying down a stick, didn't you? Guess what? You were wrong. Because when God asks you to do the most difficult thing in your that you'll ever be asked to do, that, my friends, is where it begins. He wasn't just laying down a stick. What was he laying down? His life. The representation of the life. Lay it down, Moses. Yeah. That's where it always starts, guys. That's where it always starts, plain and simple. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You never knew that, did you? <laughs> I didn't either. I, I, I knew there was more to it than just laying down a stick, but I couldn't come up with it until... See, once you understand the history, all of a sudden, the present makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Lay it down. That's where it begins. He lays it down, and then he picks it up, and it became a snake. I never understood the snake thing. I'm going, what's up with the snake? Makes no sense. Well, it does now. Don't you, don't you think, let me throw this out for your perusal. Don't you think that Moses knew that if he became the pastor, somebody in the crowd, because there's always one Christian, then you just want to slap the fire out of him. There's always one. You know one of them was going to say, wait a minute, you're not qualified to be the leader. You're a murderer. You killed somebody. Mm-hmm. It's like, who in their right mind would want to be president of the United States now? <laughs> you know? And go through everything that, tr- that Trump has gone through and so many of the other people. I worked with one of the U.S. presidents for a year. I worked with George Bush Sr. I, I had just enough taste of politics to go, well, I, nobody, nobody in their right mind would go into politics. 
I wonder how many good people we've lost just because that's all I'm going to say about that. Lay it down, Moses. And then when he picks it up, it becomes a snake. You knew he thought that something in his life was going to come back to bite him. But see, once you've laid it down, then when you pick it up, you can take those things that you thought were going to destroy you and you can use it to help someone else. Who, who better qualified than some of you in this room? I don't know all you guys. But let me just throw this at you. There are some of you ladies sitting here tonight. You weren't always cute and smelling good. Mm-hmm. Walked in here looking like a bag of chips and all that. Well, I get it. But you know, not everybody knows you do they? When you were young, maybe in another city. How far you want me to take this tonight? Mm -hmm. You understand life because you've lived it. Who better qualified than some of you women that are here to get by some of these young girls that maybe don't have someone speaking into their life on how to dress, how to conduct themselves, how to act around boys, how not to act stupid because they don't have any. They maybe, like me, don't come from a Christian family so they don't have someone to speak into their life who better qualified than some of you ladies sitting right here. <laughs> you quiet now, ain't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I knew you would be. What about some of you guys? Some of you guys that weren't always Mr. Mr. Churchy guy, the churchy guy. Mm -hmm. What did you used to be before? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if we had some men in the church that could get around some of the young boys that don't have a dad mm -hmm. and, and get with some of these boys, teach them how to act, teach them how to conduct themselves. Some of you men here, you understand life, don't you? Because you've already lived it. Now, oh, but, but I wasted, I, have, I preached a sermon years ago. The title of the message was, Don't Waste Your Wasted Years. Come on, Jesus. Some of you wasted a lot of years, didn't you? Yeah, so you can feel sorry for yourself. You can call 1-800-CRY-BABY and you look, look for somebody to feel sorry for you. Well, it ain't me, babe. No, shut up. Mm -hmm. Take your little tattoos and do something with them. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if we had some older men and older women to say, I understand life. I got it. I wasted my... Yeah, well, don't waste them twice. Take what you've learned. Turn it around and use it. Paul said, everything that's happened to me, I've used it for the furtherance of the gospel. You ought to be jumping up and down right now. Your socks ought to be going up and down. You ain't even got socks. <laughs> Lay it down, Moses. He laid down his life. Mm -hmm. That lady you'll see at the back table. Mm -hmm. yeah. She had a pretty good life in London. 
She did our metro office for years. And then about six years ago, she comes to me and she says, if I hear you say one person can make a difference one more time, she said, I'm going to shoot you again. (laughs) I said, talk to me, sister. Tell me something I don't know. She goes, it's time. I said, time for what? Time for tea? It's always time for tea here. Talk to me. She goes, it's time. I said, okay, let's get to it. She sold her house, sold her car, gave away her clothes, got a one-way ticket to Kenya. Yeah. And she ain't no spring chicken. Hmm. She was a very successful, established, middle-aged lady. What do you want me to say? There ain't nothing else to say. You get it now? Because when it's time, my friends, it's just time. Some of you are at about 98 degrees. Uh-huh. Some of you may be at 99. You're like one degree away from getting this thing. And suddenly just the whole thing changes. You up for that? You up for that? I don't know. But you better know. See, that's what nights like tonight are. That's why we're here. Lay it down, Moses. He lays it down, goes to pick it up. It looks like his life is going to bite him. But because he laid it down first, when he picked it up, he can use that life, that experience. See, you know why I get calls to go to the war zones of the world? I'm 70 years old. I just turned 70 a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, woohoo. You're impressed, aren't you? Uh-huh. I'm 70 and I still get in fights and I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what, what, what? See, my whole life was prep. My whole life was prep for time right now. So when guys my age, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire. I'm going to move to Florida. Where are my Bermuda shorts? Really? Really? <laughs> and when you look like that, you think you wear shorts? I shoot myself. <laughs> wear shorts when you look like this? You know, there's white boys and there's white boys. <laughs> I'm white, white. It is what it is, folks. All right? Do you just see what I'm saying here? Take it. It's all prep. It's not time for me to retire. I'm ratcheting this thing up. When the call comes to Yemen, do you think I'm going to really have to think about that very long? Nope. Not even a minute. Pack it up. Let's go. Let's go. So, we got to hurry. What time is it? Is that clock right? Is that about right? Yeah? Really? All right, whatever. All right. Let's talk about this. Um, Remember the story of David and Goliath? This one caught my attention. This will make sense to you guys. So David's going to lunch, right? He's taking lunch to his brothers, gets on the battlefield, sees Goliath running his mouth, 
Goes to the king, goes to Saul, says, I can beat the giant. Remember Saul questioned him? <laughs> he goes, wait a minute, you're, you're a kid. You can't, what? But do you remember how David responded to Saul's negativity? Remember what he said? He said, I fought a lion once. I beat him. I fought a bear. I beat him. So what's up? I can read Hebrew. That's what it says in the Hebrew. You can't read that. I can read it. I'm I'm messing with you, okay? (laughs) You guys are funny. Fought a lion, fought a bear, and now, hmm. So, you know, you think you know the story of David and Goliath, right? You think you do? Yeah. Five smooth stones, remember? Yeah. Goliath had some sons. So I think David thought, eh, better take a couple extra stones just in case some of the kids show up. Better have some backup. So he's got the five smooth stones, got the slingshot. But I'll bet there's one part about this you don't know. You've never heard anybody preach this. So he took the five stones, he took the slingshot. You can look it up yourself. It's in 1 Samuel 1740. Write it down. Read it later if you don't believe me. Some of you give me the dog look. (laughs) You know what the dog look is. It's when you're talking to your dog and your dog goes, (laughs) do not give me the dog look. Write it down, read it later. Five stones, slingshot. What else did he take? He took his staff. But you never hear people talk about that, do you? Oh, look at this. They're getting creative back there. HCSB. What the heck is that? Is that like a Tesco Bible? <laughs> what? what the heck? I don't even know what that is. And I teach Bible. All right, well, let's see. Oh, there it is. Took a staff, five smooth stones, put them in the bag, and even in his wallet. My God, that's not even a good transliteration. That's, oh, now it's ASV. See, now they're trying to redeem themselves. No, you're going downhill, sweetie. Cut it, Lang. Just <laughs> that dog ain't gonna hunt. Thank you. Okay, you're just digging a deeper hole. Okay, he takes the step. Why? If he was such a good shot and it was so good, why did he take the staff? I am so glad you asked. Don't you think? When he killed the lion? No, he did. When he killed the bear? Mm-hmm. And now he's walking into the toughest battle. Let me elaborate. Not just the toughest battle. This is the fight that will define him for the rest of his life. We're still talking about it. It defined him as a king. It defined him as a leader. It defined him as a man of God. Uh huh. Don't you think that when you're walking into the fight that will define you, and some of you young people, you haven't done that yet, but if you live long enough, you will. There will come a time in your life. You got the call at 3 a.m. yet? Some of you haven't, have you? 
If you live long enough, you will. Because when you get the 3 a.m. call, it's never good. Yeah. Yeah. Had the doctor's report yet? You tell me. If you live long enough, you will someday. Buried your parents yet? Yeah. You will someday. Yeah. My home pastor, he raised me. He committed suicide. You want the stories? I got the stories. Long time, folks. A lot of years. Yeah. You will come to the battle in your life that will define you. And then we'll see what you're made of. We'll see what you got. Because, see, when you, when you get into the battle, you know how you guys are. You know how Christians are. <laughs> you know. What do you pray? I even know what you pray when you're in the fight. You know, you know, oh, why do you pray that? Oh, God. Really? Was that like bring in some sort of spiritual love? Oh, <laughs> take, your, take your church face off, put it away. You can put it back on when you go outside, and you will. But for these last few minutes, just take your church face off, Okay. Let's just tell this the way it is, folks. Okay? Oh, God. And here's what you said. Lord, give me strength for the battle. Where did you get that bogus theology? Who taught you that? You don't get strength for a battle. You get strength from the battle. I'm going to let that waft back to the cheap seats. What do you think could ever make me quit now? After everybody I've seen killed, after all, all the stuff of which most of you have no idea because I don't have time. Maybe another time. Probably after tonight, there won't be another time. That would be my guess. <laughs> but for some strange reason, there is. It's a never-ending litany of issues, of battles, of struggles. So what? So David takes the five stones, takes the slingshot, and he takes his staff. Why? When you're walking in to the battle of your life, isn't it nice to be able to go, oh, the Lord was with me there, oh, and he was with me there, and... Got it? Yeah, I knew you would. You're slow, but you're worth waiting for. <laughs> I, I knew you'd get it. It just takes a while, that's all. He's looking back at the life, at the history of where God had brought him and where he is. Isn't it nice to look back? I was blind in this eye. I got hit with a brick in this eye. A couple of years back in Brooklyn, Guy came up behind me as a robbery, busted my face open, busted my cheekbone, knocked these three teeth out. I just got the new ones paid for, though. They look good, right? <laughs> I ended up being blind in his eye. Um, blood clot cut off the optic nerve. I've given my life for this thing. You guys know that. 
This has been my entire existence since I started full-time at 19. Okay, this has been it. I never looked back. And now I'm blind in this eye. You ever question God? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You ain't saying nothing. I know. Yeah. You ever just feel like I'm done? You ever just get so tired of the fight where you go, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I bought the ticket, folks. I bought the plane ticket. It's one thing to talk about getting out on the motorway and just driving. I get that, but I bought the ticket. I was leaving JFK. I'm gone. I'm done. I was leaving New York on a Monday morning. Didn't even have the guts to tell anybody. So Sunday night, couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep. I set the alarm for 6 a.m., couldn't sleep. My whole life was about to change. I must, I remember looking at the clock about 3 a.m. I guess I drifted off to sleep a little bit. When the alarm goes off at 6, and watch this. I turned off the alarm, turned on the light, and then I saw it. My pillow was covered with blood, and I could see fine out of both eyes. Somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., God came. I'm 70 years old. I don't wear glasses. Now, my right side is a little cockeyed, and sometimes when I'm tired, it jumps. So if it looks like I'm winking at you, don't get excited <laughs> or offended, <laughs> depending on your state of being, okay? But I can see fine. I'm fine. I'm 20-20. That's weird, right? Somewhere in a three-hour time frame, God came. You know why most people never see their miracle? Because they don't stick around long enough. Because when the fight comes, when the battle comes, you cave, you fold, and you walk away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hand out tubes of toothpaste every chance I get. I wish I'd have had some tonight. I ran out. <laughs> why do I do that? Because all of you are just like a tube of toothpaste. You really don't know what's inside until you squeeze it and see what comes out. Mm -hmm. See, that's what tonight is. You're getting squeezed tonight. Let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. Don't tell me what you got. Show me what you got. Isn't it nice to look back at the fight? What? Why do you think I go to these places that the other preachers won't go? I understand. What? See, I've lived by faith since I was 12 years old. Not the new guy, folks. Not even close. No, it's late. I'll do one more. Then we'll go home. Or cake. Cake? Cake. Cake it is. Second Kings chapter 4. Remember the story of the Shunammite woman's son? Kid's dead. She calls for Elisha. Come, pray for the boy. Elisha couldn't make it, so he sends his associate, Gehazi. Now, for those of you a little more astute in your biblical knowledge, you know Gehazi, he had his own problems. Mm-hmm. 
But he was around Elisha enough to know that when Elisha would pray for people, it was very common that Elisha would take his staff, lay the staff on the body of the sick person, and the person was healed. So Elisha, kind of like me, thinks, oh, that's the formula. It's like to push, breathe. Elisha, he's dopey as me. He goes, ah, that's the formula. So you read this in Kings. And most theologians never get this. So you're going to be smarter than theologians tonight. Okay. So Kehazai takes the staff, goes to the dead kid, puts it on the body, but the kid's not healed. What happened? I thought that was the formula. Read it closely in 2 Kings 4. You know whose staff Gehazi took? He took Elisha's staff. You can't take somebody else's life and expect it to work for you. Doesn't work. Young people, look at me. Pay attention. Don't depend on anybody except God. You need to know God for yourself. You need to experience God for yourself. Not what anybody else says. That's great to be around people. It's great to get advice. But you need to know who God is for yourself. Because one day, it's only going to be you. When I was dropped out of that helicopter in the jungle, (laughs) the denomination wasn't around. You ever, you ever have friends that say, if you ever need me, call me? You ever have people say that? You want to just. Because <laughs> you know, you know when you call them, you know what's going to happen. Just sure as we're sitting here. I got dropped out of that helicopter. I was out in the jungle almost four days. Yeah, it's all good. I'm s- sitting by this river watching the naked women wash their clothes in the river. That was kind of a treat. And I don't understand why they were washing their clothes downstream from the cows. It just didn't, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but when you see the cows peeing in the river and you're washing your clothes downstream, maybe it was just me, I don't know. So, you know, I've, I've been through all this, guys. I really have. And now, he thought all he had to remember was a formula. Nope. Takes more than a memorized formula or catechism or what? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Our time's gone. Go back to the verse, 21st verse. By faith, Jacob was a dying. He blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on what? No! Ay, ay, ay. Read it again. Duh. He was leaning on the top of the staff. Oh, they got it right this time. They got King James. That's the one Jesus read. That's the one I read. And when he died, 
he died leaning. So what now does that really mean? See, I'm old school. I've been around all the old revivals. I've done my PhD thesis on the Great Awakening. I get it. I've got degrees in this. All right? I understand it. So, people like to talk about the good old days. You know, this part of the world, and Pastor and I were talking about this, this part of the world, the great missionaries came from here. I probably know more about the religious history of this part of the world than most of you do. I've made it my business. The one-way missionaries, do you even know what that word is? Have you, are you even familiar with that? See, when they were going to the mission field, instead of taking a suitcase to take their belongings to the field, they bought a coffin, put all their stuff in the coffin, tied it up with a rope, put the coffin on the boat with them. Why? Because the only way they were coming back from the mission field was if they came back in the coffin themselves. But you don't hear stories like that anymore, do you? And why is that? You tell me. You tell me. Mm -hmm. I know the old revivals. I've studied them. I've sat at David Livingston's tombstone. Come on, folks. And when he died, he died not leaning, not talking. Not refer, but right there. You with me? Yeah. I'm 70. Mm -hmm. How much time? That's what's my, that's kind of my timeline, right? That's it. It's like all I'm guaranteed. So (laughs) I guess the cake ain't going to help me. (laughs) Didn't really think it was going to. So what do I do now? After this fifth concussion, the doctor said I was going to start losing my short-term memory. I thought, not the short-term. Why can't I lose the long-term? Forget some of the idiots I've had to work with. Not the short-term. See, and I can laugh about it. I can have some fun with it. But see, pretty soon, I'm going to have to take this and pass it on to the next one, right? I'm smart enough to know that. But when I pass my life on, I'm not going to pass on a life lived to here, nor to here, nor to here. When I pass this on, I'll die doing this. I know that. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I don't have to be. This is what I will do somewhere. And I know that. So when I pass this on, hmm, who do I pass it on to? When I pass it on, it's going to be lived right to the top. 
Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we have a chance to come together as friends and look at some things, talk about some things. And Lord, we take just a historical truth tonight and we look at it and we try to make it applicable for our lives because there's some people here that are at 98 degrees, 99 degrees. They're one degree away from being that person that all of a sudden everything changes. So I pray that some of these folks will be willing tonight to lay their life down so they can pick it up, make a difference. The Lord, we won't depend on a formula, but we depend on the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, that when we walk into the battle, we can look and look back at the places you brought us, battles we won. So I pray, somehow, some way, that something will connect with my friends tonight. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. The blood of Jesus shed for me. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. So, Lord, just in the quietness of this moment, that uncomfortable stirring of the Holy Ghost. Pastor Bill has shared the reality is that Pastor Bill is just following Jesus and Jesus invites you to follow him Jesus Christ, God left his comfort zone and came into a world knowing full well that it would cost him everything and he did it because he loves you Jesus died for you to be forgiven, he rose again he's alive now and he calls you to follow him. Just this evening as we're closing, if tonight you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or maybe tonight you used to be a follower of Jesus, but you know you're not following him just now, then just this now, this is your moment. If you're here and you're saying, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, then just pray this prayer under your breath. This is between you and God. Pray with me. Dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thanks for dying on that cross and rising again. 
I believe you did that for me. And tonight, I trust you to be my Savior. Tonight, I choose to become a follower of yours. Thanks for hearing my prayer and accepting me as your child. Just while everyone's eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer tonight and you chose tonight to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you wherever you are in this room in order to know who I'm praying for. Just while everyone else is praying, could you just simply raise your hand and say, that's me tonight. Tonight, I'm choosing to become a follower of Jesus. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Before I pray, is there anyone else who prayed that prayer? Thank you. Just so I know who I'm praying for. My four friends who put their hands up, just put their hands up against us, see where you all are. Great. Over here and the back. Lord, I pray for my four friends tonight, who tonight have just made the greatest decision of their lives. Thank you, you've heard their prayer. Thank you, tonight begins a journey with God. I pray that they will live the life of adventure that you've called for them to live. And at the end, they will be able to say they've done the purpose of God. They've lived for Jesus. Thank you for saving them and loving them. In Jesus' name, amen.